Jagilola Salami Show. It's a podcast show set in a virtual cafe about books and publishing. And I'm Shagilola Salami. I'm an author, blogger, freelance writer, and then I do this. Um, if this is your first time listening to the show, um, the show is probably not like your typical podcast interview. It's more of a discussion um, over virtual drinks. At the end of each episode, and this episode inclusive, I hope that you, the listener, would discover a new book, learn something new, um, be motivated or inspired. Because I, I feel like this show would be a success if after you've listened to this, you thought, huh, you know what? That was a good episode. I got something out of it, right? So that's kind of like the format of the show. And I hope, you know, you would like it. And if you do, I would appreciate it if you left a review of the show and share it with people in your network because you never know who, you know, the show could touch or inspire. So without much ado, who have I got here with me? My name is Molly Larkin. And uh, the best way I can introduce myself is to say that I have been a spiritual seeker since the age of eight. Uh, my earliest memory is of being in the second grade in school in the United States, and our teacher was telling us about how the human body worked. And one of the things she said was, scientists have determined that human beings only use 10% of their brains. Now that has since been disproven, but at the time that was the belief. And at that time, age eight, I made a decision that I wanted to get to using 100% of my brain in my lifetime, which sent me off on a path of various spiritual pursuits, much to my parents' chagrin. Um, but I ended up being, I am a teacher, an author, um, a spiritual healer, and uh, I have dedicated my life to sharing with people what I have learned that has helped me. Hi, Molly. How are you? I'm great, and I'm very happy to be speaking with you today. How are you doing? I'm all right. I don't know. I had a bout of cough that just came randomly from nowhere, but it seems to have subsided. Um, anyways, before we even have, you know, our chat, it is a virtual cafe. Um, if you went to your local um, cafe, what would you normally have? I would have a chai tea latte. I really think I need to start trying the different drinks that people ask for in the virtual cafe. <laughs> Because seriously, a lot of people come on and they ask for chai tea latte, right? Like I've had <laughs> over 150 guests, you know, in the last three years. And I wouldn't be surprised if at least 50% or maybe 30% have asked for chai tea. And I've never tasted it. I almost feel like I should try it just to see why everybody likes it so much. Yes, I think you're missing out if you haven't tried it yet. <laughs> what does it taste like? Oh, it's indescribable. That's like asking, what does a strawberry taste like? <laughs> <laughs> okay, what would you normally have with your chai tea? I would have a probably a biscotti. Okay, okay. I know that in America, you guys have completely different terms to what we have. Because I think I was reading about this the other day, where your breakfast biscuits... Uh -huh. are our scones or your scones like something completely different i really need to go and google all the different terms oh that's very interesting i did not know that <laughs> yes like seriously like because someone was going oh what do you guys think about breakfast biscuits and i'm like and then someone said to me oh no that's the equivalent to our scones i was like uh -huh. oh okay and i've never heard of a breast breakfast biscuit 
So. Yes, yeah, so apparently you guys can have it with gravy sometimes, which is just really weird. So whatever it is that you guys have with gravy, I was like, oh, that's just really weird. Well, you know, it's a really big country and different parts of the country have different food habits. Oh. So gravy would be from the South. Ah, uh, I think so. I think so. Yeah. Uh, I think that, that was what someone said that I was down South. Um, what, yes. where, what part of America are you based? Well, I've actually lived all over, but I currently live uh, in the state of New Mexico in the Southwest. Right. So is the Southwest different to the South? Because in my head, that's, it's got South in it. Right. Well, the interesting thing, yeah, the Southeast, that's where Florida is and those Southern states that like gravy with their biscuits. The Southwest is more like the desert and the wild open spaces and uh, is very different from the Southeast. Oh. In fact, the country is sort of a little bit divided down the middle with the Mississippi River going down from north to south. And the country is very different on the east side of the river and the west side of the river. <laughs> to a certain extent. Yes, I know. It's just, it's just amazing. But then again, your country is as big as a continent. So. Oh, it is. It's huge. Well, it is a continent, if you include North America, uh, Canada. So. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Okay, so we know what you want to drink and we know what you like to um, eat, you know. Uh, so whilst my virtual cafe is doing its business, you know, mm -hmm. when you were starting up with your introduction, you mentioned being a, an author, but then you also mentioned something about... Did I hear shaman or spiritual belief or something? Because I threw my coffin bout. I sort of, I think I picked up a few words. <laughs> okay, so I am a writer. I've, I'm a blogger and I podcaster and I write books. I um, am a spiritual healer and teach That's classes right. in spiritual healing. And I also, um, what else do I do? I forgot what I said, but <laughs> inter interestingly, um, I am a trainer for the Healing Trust, which is in England. I'm one of their United States trainers. Uh, so um, I have been training, uh, teaching classes in the Midwest, the Midwestern United States. But now that I'm in New Mexico, I've only been here a year. So I'm getting ready to start up um, teaching classes here. Oh, right. Yeah. And I also have a healing practice. I work with clients both in person and long distance because healing energy is not limited by time or space. And that's one of the things that fascinates me about it and that I love. That's why I love to teach it. Interesting. So how did you get into it? Well, um, I was at a dinner party about 12 years ago. Uh, in, I was living in California at the time, in Southern California, and I was sitting next to a woman I'd never met before. She was a lovely English woman. She had a beautiful accent. And I said, so what do you do? I'm, I'm Molly. What do you do? And um, she said, uh, I teach spiritual healing, and anyone can do it. And I was really struck by the phrase, phrase anyone can do it. And... Uh, at the time, I was going through a real drama in my life and felt like I wanted to explore healing because I needed it. 
Uh, also, I had been studying with Native Americans for many, many years, and I knew that they worked with energy in their ceremonies and in their healings. So I really wanted to learn more. So I got a healing session, was very impressed. And uh, this woman was a trainer from England, uh, originating with the Healing Trust. And I took, went through all their classes and ended up up becoming um, their first certified student in the United States and their first trainer in the Midwestern United States. So I started teaching those classes in maybe 2009, all because I met a lovely English woman who said, and anyone can learn it. So, you know, a lot of people think that to be uh, a healer of any sort, you need an innate gift. And while that's helpful, it's not necessary because actually whether we know it or not, we all have an innate gift to be able to help others. And you just have to be trained how to awaken that gift. And that's one of the things that's so gratifying in my work. Um, I see students come in on a Friday night for the first part of the class. And if they take the entire program three weekends, by Sunday afternoon on the third weekend, they are transformed. And that gives me so much joy and a sense of fulfillment that I'm doing my part to make the world a better place. So while she was talking, and I thought it was quite remarkable that, you know, just someone being nice, someone being, you know, taking the time to talk to you, you know, sort of brought about this tremendous change to you. But then I'm not sure what you mean by spiritual healing, because I think different people have, would have different interpretations. So what exactly is spiritual healing? Great question. Well, um, Many people have heard of Reiki, which is a form of energy healing. Spiritual healing is just another form of energy healing. And what it is, it's where the practitioner is trained to uh, be a vehicle for life life force energy to come through their body, out their hands, directing it to the client. And the, the energy has its own intelligence and knows where to go and what to do in the client's body. And most illness starts with an energy imbalance or blockage in the body. And uh, what energy healing does is it helps move energy to release those blockages to bring the client back to wholeness. That's in essence what energy healing is or spiritual healing is. Right. Okay. So it's not. So it's more. It's energy healing as opposed to really spiritual healing. So how do you? How do you direct the energy? Where do you, do you just get the energy from the air? How, well, how does it work? In our classes, we teach a, a, a practitioner how to ground themselves, protect themselves, basically say a prayer and invite the energy in. And my experience is that when I do this, I suddenly feel a shift in the energy of my hands. I feel like a very subtle tingling. And then I know the energy is here and ready to be sent to the client. Interesting. And how long, again, remind me, how long did you say it took you to become certified to be an energy healer? Uh, it, It took a couple of years because it's not just about the coursework, it's about practicing. Practicing, practicing on your family, on your friends, on your pets, until you have the confidence to know that you could actually um, start charging money for it, just like massage therapists charge money. Right. 
because it's extremely relaxing. You know, one of the interesting things about the human body is it is designed to self-heal. If you cut your finger, what happens? It heals itself. Exactly. If you break a bone, as, as long as you get it set in the right position, it will mend itself and might even be stronger in the place of the break. So the body knows how to heal itself, but the stress of everyday living um, undermines the self-healing ability. In fact, latest research is that 90% of all visits to the doctor are stress-related. Mm. And when we're stressed, our body is not able to do self-healing as well as possible. So that's one of the benefits of uh, spiritual healing or energy healing. And research has shown that it can um, reduce the side effects from, for example, chemotherapy, which can make people very sick. It can reduce those side effects. Yeah. Um, it helps people relax, um, supports medication. One of the important things about it is that it is a complementary therapy, not a replacement. Yeah. Um, the, the healing trust, which teaches the spiritual healing modality I use, um, they are approved by the National Health Service to be able to do the work that they do, and they even do it in hospitals, because in their code of conduct, it says the doctor is always in charge of the case, and the healer must never countermand any um, instructions from the doctor. So it just supports traditional allopathic treatment. Oh. Or, or patients just come to relax, which is very good for that. Yeah, okay. Okay, that sounds good. So it took you a few years. So how long have you been doing this now? About 10 years. Oh, wow. That's, that's a long time. Have you, do you have anyone, or let me start again. So when you started, you were the first person that was trained in America. Do you have other pupils now or tra oh, trained yeah. in America? Yeah, in the United States, probably several thousand people have taken our classes. Wow, that's that's a lot of growth then. Yes, yeah, it is. Okay, yeah. so when did you decide to become an author? Well, that is a very good question. You know, in high school, I had a passion for writing. And I wrote a poem in one of my classes that uh, was published in my high school journalism magazine. And I did not show it to my parents because it was clearly the story of uh, two lovers spending the night together and then they had to part before dawn because it was an illicit love affair. Well, somebody showed it to my parents and, oh my God, they were so ang angry. I was about 16 years old and they were so angry with me. I was so traumatized. I never wrote again for like 30 years. Wow. So I had this strong desire to be a writer in my teenage years, and then I just abandoned it out of trauma. But, um, so I met this spiritual teacher, a Native American elder by the name of Bearheart, um, and we became very close, and I became one of his pupils. Um, and he helped me so much. I, I went to him at a time where I was extremely depressed and suicidal, and he was a brilliant counselor, and I went to him at, just for counseling, and I walked out of the room with so much hope. And I decided that I wanted to write a book about his life and teachings, because I felt if he could help me that much and turn my life around in 20 minutes, 
what could a book on his teachings do for a wider audience? So yeah, I yeah. A- asked him if I could write his story. And amazingly, he said yes, even though I had no writing background. Um, and I think it was just meant to be. It was one of those things that was just meant to be. Yeah. And uh, I, I got us a literary age, agent. The book was published in 1996 by a major publisher. And 22 years later, 23 years later, it is still in print. And it's been, which qualifies as a, it, as a bestseller. Uh, it's been translated into a dozen languages. And the audio book just came out 22 years after the original publication. So um, it, it did much better than I ever expected. For me, it was a labor of love because he had an important message. He was a very, very inspiring man. And he was a funny man. Uh, so he, I saw him speak to audiences where he had them both laughing and crying. Um, so I did my best to convey his message and inspire people. And uh, to this day, I'm still getting messages from people thanking me for my part in getting that book published because it, it helped them so much. So that's how I got back to writing. And uh, then I decided I wanted to continue writing. I got over my trauma. <laughs> yes, no, that sounds, that sounds good though. Um, so was it the content of the book that you wrote that your parents didn't like? Oh no, it was a poem oh, it, sorry, written before. in high school. A yeah. poem written in high school. Um, and they felt that a 16, this is what they said, a 16-year-old girl shouldn't even know about such things. She certainly shouldn't be writing about them. So I, that was very traumatic for me. Oh dear, so I, I can imagine. Until I wanted to write this book with bare heart. Okay. So since then, have you written any more books? Yes, I have written another book. Um, well, this comes out of my work um, with teaching classes for the Healing Trust, I wrote a book on breath work because um, part of our curriculum is teaching people proper breathing. And when I was starting to um, study the curriculum so that I could in turn teach it, I wanted to learn more about breathing and I read a whole bunch of books and they were all very complicated and I didn't think they were very good. So I decided I wanted to write the book I wanted to read. So I did. It's called The Fountain of Youth is Just a Breath Away, Breathing Exercises for Relaxation, Health, and Vitality. Um, and the feedback I've gotten from readers, that they love it because it's simple and it's clear and they know exactly what to do to do correct breathing exercises for health. So, and in a couple of months, I have a book on meditation coming out. Oh, interesting. So I'm a bit confused, right? And it's just because, again, this is something that I'm not familiar with. Um, So why do people need to learn to take breathing exercises? Who who are the people who need breathing exercises? Pretty much everyone. Because here's the thing. If you watch a little baby, let's say they're laying on their back sleeping, Watch the abdomen. With each inhale, it will rise. And with each exhale, it falls. And it has a free-flowing movement of rising and falling. By the time a child reaches the age of seven or eight, they start to take on the stress around them, and they observe the adults around them and their stress. And they take on that stress, and they forget to do that natural, healthy breathing. Um, So... A stressed body, a tight body, inhibits our ability to breathe. Um, the, the correct 
amount. If, uh, so let's call a breath, one inhale, one outhale. Healthy, healthy breathing in a person at rest, they will do three to five breaths. An inhale and an exhale three to five times. Okay. That is very slow, healthy breathing. The um, average person, average adult, breathes 10 to 15 breaths a minute, which is very, very shallow. They're not getting enough, with that shallow breathing, they're not getting enough oxygen in their body to maximize their health. Um, correct breathing gives you all the same benefits as meditation. Lowers your blood pressure. Um, there's just a host of physical benefits. And actually the truth is 20% of adults are, no, the average adult uses only 20% of their lung capacity. That's why when someone gets to, the, to an age of, you know, 70s, 80s, if they get pneumonia, that's why it can be so deadly because they do not have the lung capacity to fight the illness. Interesting. I actually never thought about it that way, though, because I just thought, well, what is, what is, you know, like, I thought maybe someone's been in an accident, kind of like how you need physiotherapy. Um, that was what you were referring to. Oh, no, yeah. Day-to-day -day living, we need to breath be breathe better. In fact, there's a very famous uh, holistic medical doctor, Andrew Weil, and this is what he says. If I had to limit my advice on healthier living to just one tip, it would be simply to learn how to breathe correctly. And numerous studies, long-term studies of health, have indicated that one of the most important indicators to have a healthy lifestyle is to breathe fully and correctly. So can you give us, you know, listeners, you know, one or two tips on how to breathe properly? Yes. Um, you want to inhale through the nose because the nose being smaller than the mouth uh, will limit the amount of air that comes in. So that will immediately slow down your breathing. Also, you have these little hairs called cilia in your nose that will filter the, the air that comes in. Otherwise, if you breathe in through your mouth, you're taking in all sorts of dust particles and bacteria and who knows what else. So you want to filter the air by inhaling through the nose. And as you inhale through the nose, let your abdomen expand. And then on the exhale, it's okay to exhale through the mouth. Um, I have a number of breathing exercises in my book. Uh, shall I take us through one? Yes, before you do that, before you do that, just quick one, because I'm trying to get my head around it, right? You so, like, I normally breathe through my nose, and I thought everybody does that, right? Like, it's an involuntary thing that you just do. And, you know, like, like so is this supposed to be one of those ones where you just take a conscious, you make a conscious effort to just calm down and just breathe? right? Is that one of those sort of almost like meditation? Because I'm thinking in my head, well, I breathe normally. I always breathe in through, through my nose and breathe out through my nose. Like, how is this different? Well, that's good that you naturally breathe through your nose, but a surprising number of people don't. So that's an excellent start. You're already ahead of the game by the fact that you inhale through your nose. Um, exhaling could be either through the nose or the mouth. Um, but you'd be surprised how many people don't and that they don't allow their abdomen to fully expand to let their body completely fill there. 
Interesting. I didn't know that. But could it, and we will come back to your book, and I'm just sort of trying to understand this, because obviously this is quite interesting to me because it was not something, I always thought that that was how everybody took a breath. And I would have only imagined that unless only people who've got some sort of maybe brief, um, long condition, you know, asthma, COPD. Uh, my daughter, she's re- she was recently, she recently had, well, a few months ago, she had an op to take out her tonsils and, you know, that was causing her breathing difficulties um, at the time. So in my mind, I would think, okay, if there was an underlying condition, that would make sense. Uh, well, having any sort of surgery is traumatic <laughs> to our body. Um, no matter how good the doctor or how well it goes. Um, And what happens when we um, have any sort of trauma, our body tightens. It's sort of a stress response and a self-protection. And in that moment of tightening our body and our breath, we sort of store the trauma. So um, conscious, doing conscious breathing exercises will help release the trauma. <clears throat> In fact, the United States government had, has discovered that soldiers who've come back from war with post-traumatic stress syndrome get better results for calming themselves down from doing breathing exercises than from doing either yoga or meditation. Because they're helping, by doing the deep breathing, they're helping to release the traumas that are stored in their body. Oh. That makes sense. But please do continue. Tell us about your book. Were you going to read a chapter from it? Oh, uh, The Fountain of Youth or The Wind is My Mother? The one you were talking about before I interrupted you, sorry. (laughs) The Fountain of Youth. Um, Okay. This is from the first chapter um, on the spiritual aspects of the breath. Because this is something we don't really think about. Um, But there's a... Everybody does it, we do it our whole lives, but there's a deeply spiritual aspect to the fact that we breathe. Many ancient cultures teach that life begins with the first inhale and ends with the last exhale. This is a profound truth, and yet we give very little thought to the breaths we take in between. Why is that? Perhaps because we tend to take for granted all that is sacred around us, and our breath is indeed sacred. It can extend our lives as well as the quality of our lives. It can calm us, focus our minds, and and bring life-giving oxygen into our body. So for a balanced, healthy life, it's time to start paying attention to it. Think about it. We are breathing the same air our ancestors breathed, the same air the spiritual masters such as the Christ and the Buddha breathed. We are connected to every living thing through our breath. Everything breathes and breathes with us. This is a short excerpt. Oh, cool. Sounds, sounds interesting. Yeah. Okay. So now, how many books have you written in total? Or so far? Um, four. One is yet unpublished. Okay. Are they including the first one? The one that you did? Yes. The Wind is My Mother is the first. Then I wrote a little book on health called The Morning Book, Daily Practices for Spiritual Living. And then The Fountain of Youth is Just a Breath Away. And I have a book coming out in a couple of months on meditation. 
Cool, cool. And of course, I'm a blogger. I've been blogging for about five and a half years. Um, what I learned from one of my colleagues is that, wow, blogging for like five years consistently is rarity because most people give up much sooner than that. <laughs> really? Okay. And I blog about spiritual inspirational topics and health. Oh, good. Good. So what five tips can people who, or any of the listeners who've listened to you, what can they take away from listening to you today? What should be their take home? Well, um, what I'd like to focus on is some of the lessons found in the book, The Wind is My Mother. Uh, the first item is they do ceremony when soldiers come home for war, from war. They did it two and 300 years ago and they do it today. And the reason is they have seen death and they need to be cleansed of that negative and sad energy. In fact, I saw a YouTube video um, just a couple of days ago of a soldier who was returning home from war and they, his, he was surrounded in the airport by six Native American elders who were drumming and singing, honoring and healing songs to welcome him home. And the other thing that they would do for soldiers returning is to put them into the purification lodge, the sweat lodge, to help them release all the trauma that they had seen and experienced. So I don't know what it's like in England, but I know in the United States, it's, it's a, a tragedy um, that our, our veterans, their suicide rate is um, very, very high because they're not treated well when they get home. Uh, they're not getting the proper um, welcome. They're not getting the proper treatment. Um, so if they were, had a ceremony to greet them when they came home, it would be so healing. So that's the first tip. Okay. Uh, the next is respect for elders. You know, in our country, so many elderly people end up in decrepit nursing homes with really poor care and don't even get visited by many of their family members. Um, the Native American culture has great respect for elders. They consider that they have much to teach on the wisdom learned from a full life. Um, they should never be left alone. In fact, Native Americans are, are, are big on communal living. All, yeah. all, the, all the relatives, all the grandparents, aunts, uncles, they at least live near one another. No one would die alone, ever. Um, another thing is they teach children to never make fun of those who are different. Bullying would never be tolerated in an indigenous society. Another interesting thing is the chief was always the poorest man in the tribe because he gave away so much of what he had in order to assure, ensure that all his people had what they needed. So I think not giving so many special privileges to our own leaders would be a good place to start. Yes, definitely. I'd say here in the United States, we could solve a lot of problems if our Congress had to use the same medical plan and retirement funding that the rest of our citizens do. Then we get something done. <laughs> oh, exactly. You know, I actually like, and I used to think that maybe I'm a weirdo because sometimes I see some things which I think is common sense, right? But then it seems like the rest of the world, compared to the rest of the world, I'm a weirdo. Like, did you ever watch that movie, right? 300. Uh, that sounds familiar. What was it about? 
So it was like Spartacus and, you know, gladiators in those times, right? And basically, and it's kind of like, it's also, there was also the one, did you watch the movie, The Others, um, The Odyssey? No. It was like Helen of Troy, that kind of period, right? And in mm-hmm. those times, a king had to go to war. A king wasn't this well-fed person who has never done anything and just sits down somewhere and orders people around. And I always think to myself, what would it be like if the person in charge of sending people to war, right, i.e. a president, actually had to go to war himself? Oh, yes, it would change everything. Like, wouldn't it then make sense that, you know, people would think about other means of conflict resolution first? Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. But I digress. Please do continue. It was just something that, you know, always used to, you know, go through my head. Like, you know, presidents can sit, you know, in their, in their nice offices, you know, send their children to safety, but then send other people's children out to war. Like, I would be happy to do that if I felt like, you know, a president was going to send his own child to war as well. But that's just exactly. my weird. That's my weird opinion. No, I wholeheartedly agree. Wholeheartedly agree. Yeah. But please well, do continue. My last tip is the practice of gratitude. Hmm. Now, Native Americans are big on gratitude. Um, and they're the, uh, they're the poorest ethnic group in the United States, but the most generous. If you go to any Native American gathering, they're always giving gifts, little gifts to other people. One of the reasons is just a spirit of generosity. The other reason is the understanding that when you give, you receive back. Uh, and in, in spiritual circles, it's standard and classic to know that to have a daily gratitude practice of every morning when you wake up and every night before you get, go to bed, express gratitude for at least five things that happened to you that day and then more blessings come. And research has shown that people who regularly practice gratitude are happier, healthier, and lead better lives. So, and that's an old time teaching from indigenous people. Interesting. In fact, they have a great saying. I, this is a saying I learned from Bearheart. It's hard for us to say thank you without something in our hand. So. I don't, I don't, so, ah, wait, let me, let me, I'm trying to process. It's hard for us to say thank you without something in our hand. So you have to receive something to say thank you? No, to say thank you, you give something to the person you're thanking. Ah. You know, like, um, I'm 100, 100% Irish. I'm second generation born in this family. So I grew up in a very Irish family. And the Irish are great on hospitality. Hmm. And uh, my mother always when if she was going to a dinner or a party at somebody's house she would always bring something as a thank you for thank you for having me yes for you you know i grew up learning that and that's a very you know the name of my blog is ancient wisdom for balanced living and that's part of the ancient wisdom of generosity and kindness and acknowledging people for what they do for you yes yes no that is that is so that is so true Okay, cool. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you and, you know, getting to listen to your book and, you know, all the wonderful tips that you've shared. Um, Do you have a website? I don't remember if you said it before. Oh, yes, I do. It's mollylarkin, 
com and Larkin is L-A-R-K-I-N, mollylarkin.com. Okay. And apart from the four books, so you said you've got one that's going to be published soon. What uh-huh. else have you got on the works? I got a, oh, well, I have a couple, actually I have a couple of meditation CDs on my website. Um, and I just started podcasting. So I'm putting a lot of my time and energy right now into that. Oh, cool. It's a lot cool. of work. Well, no. <laughs> Sorry? It's a lot of work, as you well know. Yes, it is, you know, but it is, it can be quite rewarding, you know, but Absolutely. it just takes a bit of dedication to pull it through. What's your yeah. podcast called? Uh, the Molly Larkin Show. Oh, right. Cool. And what is it, what is it going to be about? Well, uh, the same things I've always traditionally blogged about, um, spiritual, inspirational stories, tips from indigenous or from ancient cultures, um, from ancient cultures that we can apply today. Cool. Well, hopefully anyone who's listening would want to go and check it out. I hope so. Cool. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show and hopefully we might see you again very soon. Thank you so much. It's been delightful speaking with you. All right, ladies and gentlemen. Well, it's the Shagilala Salami Show. Um, please do check out uh, Molly's podcast and, you know, go check out her books too. Who knows? You might, you might find it useful to you. Um, until next time, everyone, it is the Shagilala Salami Show. Bye now.